Well, the Lord laid this unique uh, two-part series on my heart. I, I did part one last Wednesday night, and uh, just uh, always in awe of the Holy Spirit and how he just uh, directs and puts a word in your in your spirit. And God is, um, as I heard um, uh, Dale Yurton say years ago, the Holy Spirit is a genius. He truly is a genius. And when the Lord just dropped this uh, two-part series in my heart, I thought, that is so interesting. You're doing better than you think. So I began last Wednesday night, for those of you that were we're here last Wednesday night. I had us look at Luke chapter 7 and John the Baptist. And John was in prison in Luke chapter 7, verse 19. He sends two of his messengers to go and ask and confirm and ask Jesus, are you the coming one? And so John was was a bit discouraged in prison, of course. Um, he was, uh, you know, when he was, he was in that atmosphere and being in prison and the circumstances in which he found himself, it was sort of messing with John's mind. And he began possibly to even question his own destiny. I mean, his, his destiny was so miraculous. Um, as the angel of the Lord appeared to his father in the temple and said, you will have a son, his name will be John. I mean, how many of us have that kind of a, of a divine announcement? of our conception and our birth. My claim to fame is I was born in Dayton, Ohio at St. Elizabeth Hospital, and I was breech. (laughs) That's my claim to fame. But John had this amazing, amazing conception and beginning of his life, and so he finds himself in prison, and here he is questioning, Jesus, are you the one? I mean, for him to be in that kind of a mindset, he was questioning perhaps his destiny. He had questioned all that he had seen and experienced with Jesus. I mean, he baptized Jesus, and he saw the dove coming out of heaven, and he heard the voice of the Father saying, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And John preached that this was the Lamb of God, and um, he he pushed against the political culture, and Herod uh, just despised him, despised his message, and despised him to such a degree that he threw him in prison. And so here he is, and he's just kind of just struggling, questioning whether or not, Jesus, are you the one? John, how, could you be do- how can you be questioning that at this point? Well, even the strongest of the strong get shaken. And so here he is, and so Jesus then begins to uh, step into the moment, gives his uh, messengers uh, a word to tell John, and he waits, as I, as I taught last Wednesday night. He waited in verse 24, when the messengers of John departed, he began to speak to the multitudes concerning John. Um, he, and what he says about John, the messengers would not hear. They could not take this message back to John. But it's such an encouraging thing that Jesus says about John. John would never know in that moment what Jesus was saying about him. And I believe that there, that there, there is a conversation in heaven that goes on between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit about you and about me. I believe that. And even as Jesus waited for the messengers to leave, and he began to have a, he began to just affirm John to the multitude. And he says this in verse 24, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind. And Jesus begins to, def- to defend John in front of this crowd. I believe that when Jesus 
kind of gave this question, put this question out there. I believe that Jesus was, at that moment, I believe Jesus was fulfilling John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word became flesh. And I believe at that moment, John 1, 1 connected with Hebrews 4, 12, which says the Word is a discerner of the thoughts and intents and motives of the heart. I believe that. In that moment, I believe John 1, 1 in Hebrews 4, 12 came together. And when Jesus said, what did you go out to see? A reed shaken by the wind. I believe that Jesus was discerning the very thoughts of their hearts. And I believe that Jesus was addressing the accusations in their heart towards John. And what, a, what I would have loved to have been there in that moment to see Jesus defend and to confirm and affirm John. John is in prison. He's wondering what's going on. And in that moment, Jesus is defending, affirming, and confirming John's ministry. And out of that, I just ministered that you're actually doing better than you think. You know what? Sometimes you can be shaken, and you might feel shaken, but you are not your feelings. You are not your feelings. And people were saying things about John. And what people say about you is not who you are. It's what Jesus says about you. That's who you are. And I believe that Jesus went on and just began to uncover the very thoughts and tents and motives of their heart. I want you to see something here. I want to read just a little bit more. I want you to look at verses 31 to 35. And the Lord said, To what then shall I liken the men of this generation, and what are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another, saying, We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We mourned to you, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you say he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, Look, a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is justified by all her children. In other words, uh, the life that is lived out and the fruit that comes from that life that is lived out is, is like children that, are, that, that justify the wisdom that has been put into those children. The, the life that is lived out, the fruit of that life justifies what those children have received and learned. And so Jesus is talking, and he is saying, in other words, you people are never happy. You're never happy. He, you, you want him to do this? He doesn't do that. And then you want him to do this? And he, you just pick and pick and pick. You people are never happy. He can never make you happy. And I just love the fact that Jesus just offended and affirmed and confirmed John. I think that's awesome. And you know what? I believe Jesus does that for you. I believe that when the accuser of the brethren goes and accuses you before the father, I believe Jesus steps in there and says, let me tell you something about my daughter. Let me tell you something about my son. I believe that. I do. And so John was doing better than he thought. You're not your feelings. You're not what people say about you. You're what Jesus says about you. You are who Jesus says that you are. And I just, I just thought, Lord, there's somebody that needs to hear that. Somebody needed to hear that. I had two people afterwards come up to me after service and say, I needed to hear that word. 
last Wednesday night, had one person tell me that they weren't even planning on coming to church tonight, and the Lord spoke to them and said, you need to go to church. They came last Wednesday night and heard me teach on that and said, that was, that was for me. And so what if you realized you're doing better than you think in your situation and in your challenge? What if you really realized that? How would that change you? Give me a little feedback. What if you actually stepped in to a moment of revelation based on what Jesus says, based on the word, and you began to realize that you are actually doing better in your situation and in your challenge or your test or your trial than you think you are doing? How would that change you? David. Get happy. You know what? We spend way too much of our life being sad and discouraged. I think so. I do. I think we spend way too much. We miss out, I think, on rejoicing in the Lord. We'd get happy. Our mood would change. We'd be a joy to be around. We'd be a joy to live with. We'd be be, uh, wanting to just share that Share that joy with other people. We'd be a wonderful person. We'd be an awesome influence in people's lives. Trina. Wow. We'd have an expectation. Hallelujah. You know, expectation, I believe, is from the Holy... I believe God... Well, that's a God thing. I believe God created that, that desire for expectation. Um, I'm kind of funny. Um, when I wake up in the morning, I tend to be so excited about how much I can get done today. And I, th- I get up and I say, oh, this is going to be such a good day. I'm going to get this done, this done, that done, that done. And I way over plan. How, but there's something about when, when I wake up in the morning, I have this expectation of, of, of how, what this day is going to look like and how much I can get done, how productive I can be. And I get so excited about it, and I wear myself out <laughs> because I'm so excited to see how much I can accomplish because this is a brand new day. And I just think that's just the Lord. I think God gives you expectation. And there's something so tragic when, as a Christian, as a believer, you get up and you dread that day. You dread that day. And you know what? You could be in a test and a trial, and you can get, you can get sucked into that. And you just dread today because it's another day of this test or of this trial or this challenge. And, you know, it's just so tragic to me when I think about how we might go through a a trial or something. It, it, It may last a long time. I mean, what if it lasts 10 years? And we will have lived those 10 years of not rejoicing and not being happy. And our life is so short and if, 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 you know, gosh, if I could get a revelation that I'm actually doing better than I think, I would actually get up that day and say, everything's going to be all right. Everything, from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, the Lord's name is to be praised. It's going to be a good day. 
It's going to be okay. I remember years ago when um, my daughter started ORU, and we were freaking out a bit about paying that crazy expensive tuition and didn't know how we were going to do it. And we were in like into the first semester, and we're you know, saving every dime, every nickel, every penny we can manage to save and, and accumulate to pay for the next semester after that. And I was thinking, oh, my goodness, I've got, I've got eight of these semesters to get through. And then after that, it's going to be Lucas's turn. And I am just sinking under the weight, and I'm not rejoicing. And there's, I've lost my hope and my expectation of just enjoying the day. And I'll never forget it. I had been somewhere in the car, and I pulled my car into the garage, and I went through the door to our house. And you know how when God speaks to you, and you remember it, and you know exactly where you were standing? Isn't that uncanny how that happens? And I remember stepping into the house, and I go through my laundry room, and I open up the door to the garage into my laundry room, and boom, as the door is opening, the Lord says, I will have provided everything for Hannah and Lucas. When it is all said and done, I will have provided. And you will have, you will have spent all these years being sad. You will have spent all these years lo- losing all that emotion and being worried and fretful and sad. And I thought, oh, my goodness, I could, I could waste the next eight years just struggling under this burden and trying to survive. And the Lord just spoke to me and said, when it's all said and done, eight years from now, it will all be paid for. And it was like I got sort of like a God moment. And it was like the present and the future all came together at the same time. The present I was standing in and the next eight years, they all kind of met face to face. And I realized, oh, hallelujah, God's going to do it. And you know what? That means I can actually rejoice. Isn't that amazing? And so, you know what, ladies and gentlemen, sometimes, you know what, when we get that revelation, we can actually, we can actually realize, you know what? I'm doing better than I think. I'm doing better than I think. Hallelujah. Now I want to ask you a question. John's freaking out in prison. What would happen if... Every time we, as God's people, faced a challenge, what would happen if if every time we went through something, God freaked out? (laughs) What would that what would life be like? Chaos? Chaos? Horrible. Yeah. It's bad enough when we're freaking out. Um But can you imagine, I mean, it's like, thank the Lord that God does not freak out. Thank the Lord that between you and him, one of you has sanity. (laughs) Thank the Lord that between the two of you, one of you has not lost your mind. (laughs) And so sometimes you ever have those moments where you're like, you want to, you're freaking out, you're freaking out. And the Lord speaks to you and he just speaks so calmly and matter of factly. And don't you just hate it sometimes? It's like, God, don't you realize how bad it is? And the Lord is totally calm. He's not freaking out. Now, um, when I 
became a young parent at the age of 20. I had my first baby, little baby girl. And she was the most uh, emotional child that I had ever experienced in my life. I mean, you know, what in the world? Okay, she was so emotional. Every little thing was um, a big deal. And so I'm thinking, okay, uh, trying to get my hands around this child and know this child. And, and, and okay, let me give you an example. Little, little, just uh, uh, big enough to pull herself up on those crib rails and hold on to that top of that, you know, that, that crib. And when she woke up in the morning, if you didn't get yourself in that bedroom and get her out of that crib, oh my goodness, it was the end of the world for her. Scream her head off, couldn't cope, couldn't handle it. And I was actually, she was getting me wrapped around her finger because I did not want to have this screaming maniac in my house. And so I, I would barely hear the crib start to shake. Oh my, get to the nursery, get to the nursery before this child realizes that she's going to have to wait 30 seconds for somebody to come get her. And then I realized... I don't like, I don't want to live like this. And I, I learned um, one of us is going to break. It's not going to be me. It's going to be you. And I broke that child. I made her. She cried it out. I go in there and I'd say, no, stop. No crying. I'd leave the room. She'd pitch a fit as little as she, she was seven pounds when she was born, seven pounds. But that child had more gumption and more fire in her. She was unbelievable. And so I'm like, no. No, I am not going to react to your emotional well-being here. Okay, time goes by. She gets old enough where she's drinking out of a little sippy cup. And who who all is familiar with sippy cups? It's got that little spout. Well, listen, if you handed her her sippy cup and you did not turn the spout toward her. Oh my goodness, she couldn't handle it. She'd be shaking, pitching a fit, screaming her head off. And I'm just like, oh no, oh no, this, this will not, this will not be our portion. And the thing is, is I just, I made up my mind. I will deal with you. I will handle you. You will not make me emotional. I will teach and train you how to be calm and obedient. And so she, she gave us a run for our money. This child, until she was about five years old, she finally broke. It took about five years. But she wanted her emotional development was off the charts. And we had to bring her under submission and learn how to Respond in an emotionally healthy way. Listen, it is not emotionally healthy for you or me to always be um, having things come at us where everybody's always hitting the panic button in your life. It is not. Um, it is not good for you. It the adrenaline. The adrenaline that is released in your body not only affects you physically, it affects you mentally. It is not healthy for you or for me to go through life, and everything is always major. 
Everything requires an exclamation point at the end of everything. That is not emotionally healthy. And so God comes into our life, <laughs> and he, he has to teach you and me that we're going to be okay. We're going to be okay. And he has to train us how to respond to life and that everything does not have to be a big deal. And so I can remember, I would tell my daughter over and over again, you're okay. You're okay. Calm down. Listen to me. You're okay. And I would make her, I would make her, I would, we would make her get a hold of her emotions, especially as she got older. I remember one time, she was in a little walker, and we lived in this apartment. It was a two-story apartment, and it had a, a main floor, and it had a basement, and you had to always be careful that uh, you, have this, you kept the door to the basement shut. And I thought I had shut that door. And she was in a walker. And I don't know how she did it, but she got that door open, and I didn't see her. And that child surfed all the way down those basement steps. Those are those wooden kind of steps that have the slats you can see through. I don't know how she did it. But she surfed all the way down those steps and hit the bottom, fell over, and is freaking out. And listen, as a mother, you want to freak out too? But you know what? She was learning and I was learning. And I remember I went to the bottom of those steps. I picked her up. Everything was in place. She was totally fine. Nothing was missing. Nothing was broken. I said, Hannah, you're okay. You're okay. You're doing better than you think. <laughs> and listen, you, you got to watch this now because um, God, God does not put an exclamation point on everything in our life. Because he rules and reigns. And he sits in a place of peace. And God does not panic just because you and I panic. And God doesn't freak out just because you and I are freaking out. And so God has to teach us and train us how to walk in the spirit. Let him renew our minds. Learn how to just yield to the Lord. Learn how to trust God, learn how to rejoice in the Lord, learn how to have faith. So all of these things. Now, so God, you know, he's so calm. And he has a whole different take sometimes on our situation, just like he had with John. John's in prison. John's questioning. Those messengers leave, and Jesus starts bragging on John. He has, Jesus has a completely different perspective on the situation. Now, I shared with you one time that God, sometimes the Lord speaks to me in ways I'm like, I'm like, oh, okay, God. Uh, there have been times in my life that gone through something maybe really hairy and gnarly, really, really challenging, really tax, taxing, you know, emotionally and spiritually and maybe financially or whatever you get through. And I got through that thing and the Lord spoke to me and this is what he said, you're alive, aren't you? And I thought, huh, what an odd thing to say. 
It's like, God, didn't you just see all of this? I mean, if, if, if I was a writer in the story of my life, everything would have an exclamation point at the end of it. This happened and that happened and I had to go through this and I had to face that. And this was so emotionally and so taxing spiritually, perhaps even physically or financially. And God, you're alive, aren't you? And it was like, God, God is focused on something else. He is focused on something else than what we are focused on. And so I want you to look at Joshua chapter 14, verse 10. Joshua 14, verse 10. And we're going to continue this thought. You're doing better than you think. Now, this is going to be a statement that Caleb makes. Now, he's going to say something here, and he's going to say something, and I have to say that it is, it is, it is my honor to know that God gave another one of his servants the same revelation. Isn't that amazing? Look at jo- Joshua 14, verse 10. And, and now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive. Kept me alive. As he said, these 45 years. Okay, let's do a little history here. Joshua is now 85 years old. And he's about to ask, I'm sorry, Caleb. Caleb is now 85 years old. And he's standing before Joshua, and he wants his mountain. He wants what was promised to him by Moses, okay? Now, he said, God has kept me alive for these 45 years. What's he talking about? 45 years of what? Wilderness. What's that? Wondering. Why? Why did the man have to wander around in the wilderness for 45 years? Okay. So let's gather up all this information. Lorna, what did you say? He had to watch everybody else die. Any, everybody, was it 20 and under? 20 and under who rebelled? Was that right? 20 and over. 20 and over. Everyone who rebelled, 20 and over was going to die. Because like Rachel said, they sent the spies into the promised land. They came back. Only Joshua and Caleb were the ones who believed and wanted to do it. The other ones were rebellious and unbelieving. They were unbelieving believers. That's a contradiction. But they were. That's what they were. And so, because of their unbelief and their rebellion, the Lord said everyone 20 years old and over is going to die. And so, oh my goodness, if that was the story of my life, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation. How in the world, how in the world do you do that for all those years? Somebody tell me. Somebody give me some feedback. How in the world do you do? 
Listen, it's bad enough when you do something that brings grief into your life. But Caleb didn't do anything to to deserve this. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Talk about losing it. I, Caleb, did you ever want to lose it emotionally? Did you just ever want to lose it emotionally? Can I mean, hey, it's, it's one thing to, okay, say like you and your spouse are having a bad day together. Hey, it's one thing to have a bad day for 24 hours. Can you imagine 40 years of bad days? What in the world? <laughs> you know, we read, we read through this inscription. We think, oh, yeah, you know, they rebelled. They wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. They died. Caleb got his mouth. No, wait a minute now. We need to appreciate. We need to appreciate what this man went through. Oh, my. I would have. I would. Oh, you can guarantee I would have had a bad day somewhere in there. Mike. And what was that? Pardon? <laughs> Got to fight to get your promise. That's right. Because it, it just, because I, I, I believe this. I believe, okay, he got through that. Praise the Lord. Victory. Hallelujah. Got that behind him. You know what? I believe this. Your, your last victory introduces you to your next enemy. And if you don't learn <laughs> that you're doing better than you think, and you live out of this crazy emotional mess in your life, how are you going to survive that? It is imperative that you and I learn to walk in the Spirit. It is absolutely imperative. Now, okay, so Caleb says, the Lord kept me alive. You're alive, aren't you? How in the world, how in the world did this man come through this. What, Rachel, what'd you say? (laughs) Oh, man. Oh, I know. I know. Talk about, oh, wouldn't you want to just blame somebody? Oh, it'd be on the, it'd be right there, right there, right there. I'd be, I'd be walking around, bite my tongue all the time. I just, I just want to say it. Oh, you just want to blame somebody. Can't do it. Can't do it. Because Caleb had a different spirit. He didn't, I don't, you know, okay, so how did he do this? Faith kept believing God. Uh huh. Yes, he did. Hallelujah. 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 Oh my. He had a hope and an expectation. Now, in the New Testament, who is our hope? What is our hope in the New Testament? What? Jesus. Christ in you, the hope of glory. 
Christ in you. And I believe, I believe that Caleb was a picture of a New Testament believer who had resurrection life operating on the inside of him. Jesus says this. He says this. He says, because I live, you shall live also. And so when the Lord stops you and says, well, you're alive, aren't you? You came through all of this. And even as Caleb said, the Lord kept me alive. I'm telling you, we can go through stuff and we can come out. And our testimony is, I'm alive. I'm alive because Christ is in me. Now, I'm not talking about the kind of being alive where you say, there, I survived it. No, 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 no. Look, look at, look at Caleb's conversation. He begins to speak. I was 40 years, he says in verse 7, I was 40 years old when Moses, a servant of the Lord, sent me to spy out the land. I brought back word to him as it was in my heart. Then he goes on and he says, Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord. This man did not stay alive through all of this to just survive. There was resurrection life operating on the inside of him. And when there is resurrection life operating on the inside of a believer, you just don't survive something. Look at the condition of his heart, even in the environment of all that unbelief. Look how resurrection life is affecting his heart. What kind of a heart did he have? Pardon? Pardon? Hopeful? He was at peace. What do you think of me when he says, I wholly, wholly followed the Lord? Holy. W-H-O, not H-O-L-Y, but holy. All in. Hallelujah. That's resurrection life operating in a believer. When you can be in an environment of unbelieving believers, which should not be, but it, but it be. Oh, it'd be way too many times, but it'd be. But when you've got resurrection life on the inside of you, because he lives, I shall live also, you can be in an environment of lukewarm, lethargic, rebellious, resistant believers, and find yourself what? Find, find yourself what? At peace and what else? Pardon? Trusting? Pardon? Thriving. Give me a high five. That's awesome. I love it. Hallelujah. Thriving. Oh, let's just see how Caleb was thriving. Oh, man. Look at verse 11. He's talking to Joshua. He's come through it all. And he says in verse 11, As yet 
I am as strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me. Just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for war. Ha <laughs> ha. Mike talked about you're going to have to go to war. He's ready. Let's do this. That's resurrection. That's resurrection life. Both for going out and for coming in. Now look at verse 12. Now therefore give me this mountain of which the Lord spoke in that day. All right now. How is this brother thriving? Beyond just trusting, beyond just believing, there's more to thriving than just trusting and believing. What do you see here? Rachel? Hallelujah. And if you could just put some adjectives on that on that explanation, how would you just describe just the the, the flavor, the demeanor of his character as he just said, "Give me my mountain." Hallelujah. You, you know you could hear it in his voice. There's some, yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah, the sanctified kind, right? Yeah, there's just a, there's just a passion in that tenacity. Yeah. Hallelujah. Expectation. He's getting up today, 85 years old. Hallelujah. This is my day. I have endured. I have believed. I have not lost my passion. I have not, pardon And I've waited long enough, so give it to me. He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. He is a rewarder. And Caleb sought God and believed God and and intentionally with such holy indignation said, I believe God now. I want my reward for believing. Hallelujah. He's not some droopy dog, lukewarm, beaten down, disillusioned man who's lived with a bunch of lukewarm, rebellious, resistant, unbelieving believers for 40 years. How do you live in that kind of an environment and then after time is up, come out of that thing full of fire and passion? How do you do that? Oh, hallelujah. And what else? Pardon? Hallelujah. Listen, one of the hallmarks, one of the, the marks of evidence in a, in a, in a born-again believer's life is, is the ability to be able to, to resurrect, to live, and to live with faith and hope and expectation. And not just have trust and faith, but to say, I'm rolling up my sleeves and I'm going to war. I'm getting what, the God, what God said I can have. I'm going to beat those enemies. Man, there was passion on the... That's, that's because he lives, we shall live also. Now, I'm here to encourage you tonight. The Lord put his spirit on the inside of each and every one of us if you're a born-again believer. And he did not intend for you and I to spiral downward. 
He intends for you and I to walk in that resurrection life and power. Because he lives, we shall live also. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And it is amazing to me sometimes when you just, I just feel like, God, I just don't think I can do this anymore. And it's like you're down for the count and you hit the bottom and it's like boing, boing. You just bounce right back up. It's not you trying to function out of human good intention. It's not that. It truly is resurrection life. It truly is. Anybody ever been down and out and all of a sudden you come in contact with resurrection life? Hallelujah. You know what? It's moments like that I say to myself, I must be saved. I've got to be saved. I've got to be saved. Because there is no way. I am springing back. There's no way I can have passionate, indignant resilience when it comes to just keep running after the Lord after I went through all that. (laughs) And so Caleb just stands before Joshua and says, the Lord kept me alive. And oh my goodness, that time the Lord spoke to me and said, well, you're alive, aren't you? I mean, gosh, Lord, you kind of undersold yourself a little bit. Oh, yes, I'm alive because you're in me. Hallelujah. And you know what? We're doing better than we think. We're doing better than we think. And sometimes somebody, you just need to hear somebody tell you that you're doing better than you think. Christ is in you. And he's going to bring you. This is his will. It is, it is our portion to prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And it is his will for us to be wholehearted, strong in God, passionately running after the Lord. And how do we do that? We do that when we connect with resurrection life. Hallelujah. And if we're born again, the spirit of God is on the inside of us, and that's what he does. Isn't that awesome? We're doing better than we think. And God just doesn't want us to survive. He wants us to thrive. Hallelujah. You know, can you imagine? Caleb is 85 years old. He's had to outlive all these people. Now, he's about to step into that promise. And what, what is the age then limit of those that are around him? They're all younger. He's the old dog in the room. But wouldn't that be amazing, Carol, for you and I to see this next generation experience an awakening in God? Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't that be awesome? I tell you what, I pray for that. I pray God will bring an awakening and a revival. And when God does, I want that next generation to see something real and on fire on the inside of me. Hallelujah. What an awesome thing. Oh, thank you, Jesus. This next generation needs to see men and women of God who say, I I wholly follow the Lord. I'm just as strong today as I was 40 years ago. I want what God says I can have. I'm not winding down and getting lukewarm. I'm just, I'm firing up. Oh, thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for the encouragement and the life-giving ministry of who you are and the word of God. And thank you for just for just words, apples of silver and pitchers of gold tonight, Lord.
I don't know who needed to hear this, Lord, but I just know somebody in this room needed to know you're doing better than you think because resurrection life is on the inside of you. And I thank you for that, Father. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. Hallelujah. We thank you for that, Lord. And God, we pray that we will be a part of that generation that will stand and say, I'm just as strong today as I was yesterday. And I'm even more passionate. I'm even more fierce. I'm even more ready to roll up my sleeves and go into battle to get what God says I can have. Lord, not just for ourselves, but for the next generation. We pray that we will be a group of people that will represent what resurrection life looks like to the next generation. And they will hunger and thirst after something that is real and genuine and life-changing. We thank you for that, Lord. And we pray even for Sunday, Lord, that you will draw people in from the north, south, east, and west who do not know you. We pray that people will get saved on Sunday, that they will come into contact with resurrection life. And God, they will be born again. We're believing you for that, Lord. We want our mountain, God. We want our mountain. We want the next generation. We want to see you move in this place. And so, God, we tell you tonight, Lord, we're passionate. We're intentional. We're ready to roll up our sleeves and believe you and go after it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, you all are dismissed.